So that's what I'm going to talk to you today about, the enchanted world. So, during that service, did anyone feel the need to speak to a friend or just want to speak to a friend? Maybe just give them a hug, encourage them, support them, or just have a laugh with them. Anyone? Yeah? Got a few people, a few contenders? Um, did anyone feel pins and needles, brush of wind, or anything in particular as though someone was standing next to you, or ever, any sense of emotional feeling that you had during that service? Yeah? Got a few peeps? Yeah? Did anyone do something very practical, like set up chairs, the sound system, the projector, play in the band, wave flags, or anything else that you maybe meant that meant that you might have to come to church a little bit earlier. Yeah? Got a few? Okay. Um, did anyone get a sense of something like a ball of light in a particular space in the room? Maybe a bigger person standing in a particular place in the room or someone walking into the room that might not be a physical person at any point. Yeah? Did anybody play with kids? Maybe uh, try to get them involved or engaged in the worship, or even just play with them with their toys or their computer games or anything like that. Yeah? Did anyone get a Bible verse or repeat a phrase or a word like holy that they just couldn't stop singing over and over again when you started singing in your own words? Or maybe you got a specific melody? Yeah? Did anybody speak in tongues during the service? I know at least one person did. Yeah? Um, has anyone got a person that came to mind during the service? Maybe it's someone who's in uh, church this morning, or maybe it's a friend, it's a family member, or someone that specifically came to mind for them in that particular instance. Yeah? Um, did anybody put in specific effort to figure out how to get your family on time to church without a mental breakdown. Yeah? Got a few peeps? Okay. Yeah, tried. Um, did anyone in the service so far hear or see anything that doesn't seem to be a sound or sight that would be natural but happened in this space? Yeah, a few peeps? Did anyone get something they have no clue what to do with? And that is completely out of your grid. And you're like, okay. Maybe something that came to mind or anything like that at all. Did anyone get a particular emotion? Maybe you felt overwhelmed and you started to cry or you started to laugh or some sort of poignant emotion that came to mind. Yeah? Did you feel pain anywhere in your body that suddenly appeared and then disappeared? Just a little twinge anywhere? Or maybe a little irritation? Did work come to mind? And did you think, and did like a strategy or something that might, a particular problem that you have at work, and did that suddenly, ah, I could do that, 
and resolve this problem at work or this particular person. All of those things are different expressions of different gifts that you got. Now, what I'd like to encourage you to do is I'm going to remind you of these questions at the end of the service, and um, I'd like you, if any of those things are applicable for you at the end, to put your hand up, and then I'd like to maybe give those who have that specific thing a bit of a challenge. Because we live in an enchanted world. We live in a world that is so much bigger than it seems. What I'm looking at today is Ephesians 4, 1, 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one body when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us has been given as Christ apportioned it, a grace, sorry. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by the very supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 1, 4, sorry, 1 to 16. There's a lot in there, really, isn't there? Um, I think every single person who ends up doing this has always started their uh, sort of preach with us. It's like, Really, you could do like a series of like every individual section of Ephesians. Um, there's a reason why it takes a lifetime to reread the Bible. You just go back to it every single time, and every single time you do, you either find something new or you linger on something new. Um, when I was young, not to say that I'm old now, but when I was younger, I loved stories. 
like Lord of the Rings and Narnia, and let's be honest, I still love them. Um, they lived in very closely together in my world with Bible stories. Um, and growing up, that's kind of, they were both shared sort of this epic, mythological, fantastical quality. Um, and it was sort of mythic in proportion. And the author of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, um, is, uh, was really, really excited by the world of myth. Um, and he went so far as to say, the story, ooh, ooh, too clever for my own good, guys. There we go. Let's try one more. There we are. The story of Christ is simply a true myth. A myth working on us the same way as others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. There is an enchantment. There is a sense of wonder that myth and fantasy provide. And Christianity provides the added element of truth. When I was little, as much as I do now, I loved also being outdoors. Um, seeing the glorious mountains vicious against the sky and watching the constellations of the stars and kind of starting to get a sense of stories and then seeing clouds and it kind of looking like a chicken running away from an axe or something like that. And just getting a sense of things seem more than they are. C.S. Lewis tried to invite people into the realization that life is more than just something that it seems to be, to invite us into a world where everything is enchanted. Everything has a deeper divine spiritual substance to it. This doesn't really become any better communicated than the slide that I gave you a bit of a spoiler alert there for earlier. Then in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when Eustace meets a star who's in human form, Eustace being a character from the Chronicles of Narnia, says, in our world, says Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. And the star responds with, even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. Again, Everything's a little bit more than what it just seems. Paul wrote to an audience that believed in an enchanted world. A tree wasn't just a tree. It was potentially where your ancestor could live. Um, a human wasn't merely skin and bones and neurons. There was a soul that resided in that human body. But today, the reasonable and rational person is disenchanted. In The Lord of the Rings, it ends, hashtag spoiler alert, with all the wizards, elves, and magical creatures either being killed off or sailing off into the distance. It ends with the age of men and the end of magic. The world is now finally 
disenchanted. Trees are now really just trees. They're not ants. And humans are just humans. They're not elves. Now, for us as a society, we experience this as well. We experience this transition, this walk away of the enchanted, the sense that actually everything wasn't, was really just the way it seemed because of many, many things, but in very big part because of the Second World War and the First World War. I talked about this um, a while back when I talked about truth, and I suggested in that, and you can find that on the Hope Church recordings, that it was the world wars that essentially disenchanted our world. Because romantic and exciting valor of knights and dragons and exciting and, dis and enchanting notions of romance and everything else becomes very suspicious when it results in the slaughter of millions. The nationalism of the First and Second World Wars, all of these romantic ideas had led us as a people to kill each other. And so after the fact, we were a little bit more careful about being enchanted and believing in that. And this seeped into every area of society, including the church. As Tolkien talks about the, el the elves and everybody else sailing into the sunset, into the west, after the World Wars, many churches as well talked about the gifts of the Spirit in exactly the same way. The age of the Bible has begun. We no longer need the gifts of the Spirit. Magic has ended. Enchantment has ended. Things are as they seem, and we have texts to work off of that well for ourselves. Once the age of the Bible began, the apostles, the prophets, the miracle workers all sailed away because their job had finished. So I was born into a charismatic family. Um, it was a uh, kind of like modeled around American Pentecostal megachurches type of thing. Um, but my teenage life I spent in not exactly what would be described as a cessationist church, so that's a church that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but didn't exactly promote them. Um, I loved enchanting stories. I loved the Lord of the Rings. I loved Narnia. But my experience was that these sort of sense of enchantments, these sort of sense of substance, weren't connected to my relationship with God. Um, the disenchanted in this unsupernatural world wasn't as exciting as the enchanted imaginative world that I had in my head or the world of stories. And then a few things happened that suggested that maybe the rational world wasn't exactly the way it seemed. So I, I was, went to a conference when I was about 15, and this is what I looked like at that point. I thought it would be an interesting experiment to see what I looked like with my eyebrows shaved off. Um, I don't know. It just it felt like a thing to do. Um, so I was, um, sorry? Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I always, I like Lord of the Rings. I thought I'd want to look like Gollum. Um, I'd been a Christian for a good few years by this point. Um, and I was in a very, this was a uh, teenage conference of like 3,500 teenagers. And um, the worship had reached a very quiet and intimate and meditative sort of point, as you guys know happens. And I was crouching on the ground, praying and thinking about something. 
usually at this point, it still happens today, but it definitely happened when I was 15. <laughs> you'd, you'd open your eyes and you'd see something and it maybe be a cool light or a cool effect or something and you'd get really distracted and then be completely out of sort of the meditative moment. Um, but uh, out of nowhere, I hear a voice. Not a voice in the hall, not a voice anywhere else, but a clear and resounding voice. And what struck me was not that I had any questions, where does that voice come from? I didn't, I didn't even question where it came from. I didn't know whether it was inside me or whether it was outside of me, I couldn't tell you. But it felt so real and my heart vibrated with the resonancy of that voice in such a way that I was just like, ooh, I'm known. I, I heard the voice of God say the word Simon to me, the name my parents gave me. And something about it just like resonated with me with such depth and clarity. Um, I had a deep conviction that that day God knew my name. Other experiences followed. And with each consecutive experience, I'm kind of getting this experience of like, actually things are not just the way they seem. And a lot of the time, those experiences came from people or were guided by people who Paul describes who have these gifts of, these, of this singular spirit. But boy, did it scare me. I've been now part of Hope Church for just over a decade. Um, and uh, I've been part of its journey of those 10-something years. And the start off, when we really started to see stuff happening here, I was carefully skeptical. Um, I had learned from an early age that you don't want to be hoodwinked. You don't want to be played the fool. Um, you don't want to follow someone blindly. Again, all the things that you learn from an age that is disenchanted. Where things I learned from an early age to be suspicious of. And you know, actually, Paul talks about this. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You are supposed to be careful. Don't believe absolutely everybody says. But it's fascinating that this is smack bang in the passage where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Funny, really, isn't it? That the very thing you wouldn't, if, if I were to tell you to a rational person, how are you going to prevent to be like convinced of evil scheming? You go, make sure you go to university, study as much as you can, and know as much about the subject that you are going to engage with so that you can't be played the fool. Paul's point is, it's in relationship with people of different gifts. And if, you commune, if you're in community with a diverse set of giftings, this won't happen to you. It's not actually the conceptual study of a thing. It's the vulnerable interplay of relationship of the thing. So I was scared because I get prophetic words of, and have powerful experiences with God, guided by teachers, evangelists, pastors, prophets, apostles. 
And I vividly remember thinking, like, this is very emotionless. This is all about experience. This is all a little bit, you know, yeah, wishy-washy. It's not like hard, stoic facts of the Bible or, like, scientific facts or anything like that. But I would have these powerful, epic, almost mythologically proportioned stories I like experiences and I'd be talking to a prophetic friend of mine and they'd say, oh, there's a big massive angel in there and they're standing and I was chatting, I was asking Andy Fulton, what, what did you see or experience? I was like, oh, there's a lot of angels in the room right now. No, there's just pillars and stained glass windows and, you know, there's, there's, there's the projector screen. It's more than it seems to be right now, guys. This very space. The world has a deeper substance, and so too does every human being you come across. So in this passage, Paul doesn't really explain what the gifts of the Spirit are individually. He doesn't tell you, this is an apostle, this is a pastor, this is a prophet. Um, And he really doesn't do this in most other passages he mentions the gifts of the Spirit either. I, as I say, have been in these kind of circles now for quite some time. I was born in Pentecostal churches. I spent 10 years in a semi-quasi-cessationist church, and then I spent almost a decade here. And in charismatic circles, we tend to talk more about what the gifts of the Spirit mean than the Bible does, truth be told. But he mentions them in Romans 12. He mentions them in 1 Corinthians 12. And he mentions a lot of them. There's uh, helper and administration, which that is supposed to be on that, but it's been cut off at the bottom. Don't take that as a statement. It's amazing how often those two do get cut off at the end of that list. Um, uh, Helper and administration. So, Sarah, don't take that as a thing. (laughs) It's not a list. It's a body as well. It's not a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's a body. This isn't point one is my hand, point two is my eye, point three is my whatever. It's this is my hand. Without it, I can't grasp anything. Get rid of my other hand and I can't grasp of anything else. Get rid of both my eyes and I can't see anything and I might, then I can't grasp anything either. It's not one on top and one below. It's all interchangeable, and all, sorry, all interactive with each other. Yes, we talk, to, we talk more about the gifts of the Spirit and what they mean in charismatic circles than the Bible does, but you have to understand as well that Paul is speaking to an enchanted audience who believe in the enchanted world. I think one of the reasons he doesn't explain it so well is because he probably thinks that most of his audience already get it to a certain point. People went up mountains to find oracles that spoke the words of God. People traveled far and wide to find the miracle workers living outside of their villages and cities and little huts, presenting them with gifts and payment. Politicians were led by the mandate of the gods. Leading, prophecy, all of these things are part and parcel of the everyday enchanted life. There really was very little that wouldn't have been imbued with some sort of divine significance. Each role, everything someone does, 
is enchanted. So for them, the radical thing isn't that he's talking about gifts of the Spirit. To us it is because we are disenchanted. But to him, to their audience, actually there's three other things that are radical in their nature. You are not going up to the mountain because the oracle is person number one. The oracle is actually only the eye of the entire body. You don't go to the miracle healer and pay them because they have some benevolent power that makes them above and beyond yourself. They are part of a body. That you didn't elevate one gifting over the other. You didn't ever elevate the person who somehow managed to shepherd and take care of people really, really well over someone who was an oracle or vice versa. But rather they all work together to help one another to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a bit better than just paying for one oracle of God. We misunderstand Paul using the gifts if we put administration or um, helper at the bottom of a list. This isn't a list, it's a body. A gloriously supernatural and powerful body. Number two, everyone. He starts this letter, Ephesians chapter one, with what again? Everyone has received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the context that he's telling you that everybody has an apportioned grace and a specific gift. He's not telling you, you have no access, but hey, when you become a Christian, you get these really nice gifts. Woo! You get one gift per person, and that's it, because you know, you can't be given too much, because you're awful. And if you got too much, you go to your head and da-da-da. No, you have been given all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and that looks uniquely like you. And it's for everyone, to everyone, for him. Third, it is from one baptism, one God, one Christ, back to him for his glory so that we may take his full measure. It's from him to him for everyone without any hierarchy. To an enchanted world, that's what's radical. To a disenchanted world, it's the radical notion that actually you have gifts of the Spirit, that the Spirit lives inside of you, that there is a substance and there is meaning, and it's more than just your flesh and bones. Once I found out that every single person was enchanted, once I experienced the Spirit for myself and I had encounters and I had powerful moments, it became clearer to me that Wow, everybody gets this. And suddenly unity becomes far more feasible as a notion. Because the faces staring at me right now, you guys, are all enchanted. Yeah, exactly, yay. 
you carry specific gifts of the Spirit. And it's in relationship with you that I grow and learn. And I'm not tossed to and fro. I need to actually be more careful, according to Paul, with my relationship with you so that I don't get tossed around than I necessarily need to do to know and understand absolutely everything. So, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Oh, man, well, I should have started earlier if that's something I wanted to talk about. Hey, Andy. And that's why I'm not. You want to, I I can give you a big long list and we could spend a good long series on this. We could do one preach on each gift. And it probably should be by every person who champions that particular gift. So, speak to the person next to you if you want to find out what gifts of the Spirit look like. Let them be fully themselves to you. Don't be frightened away by their difference. But instead, let their difference have its full effect on you. And suddenly, you will find that you're confronted with an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, and so on. It's not simply a personality test. It's not a disc profile. It's the enchanted spiritual and supernatural interchange of maturing, growing, and attaining the whole measure of Christ. It's a bit more than just a disc profile. I mentioned that I got scared of all of this starting off. Um, Especially when all of this started to become very real to me. Because suddenly, knowledge, wisdom, truth, God, all these things become less about what I can conceptualize and more about my relationships. How healthy are my relationships with other people and how, how healthy is my relationship with God? And that's jolly scary. Because... If you've been, for any amount of time, in, ca- in the charismatic circles, people who believe in the enchanted world, you know um, what it feels like to separate the enchantment from the logos, from the logic, from the truth, from the rationale, the word of God from the spirit. The very spirit that should help us grow and build us into love becomes a weapon and a tool for manipulation. What if a person uses their gifting to develop a sense of status? What if they don't get that whole no hierarchy thing and they think, well, I am designated this person, so therefore now you should follow in line? The amount of pain that can potentially be caused by saying, actually, it's relationship that dictates how well I'm doing means I'm putting myself at quite a lot of risk. There's a safety in just saying no The only thing that my relationship with God depends on is how well I think, how well I study. Because I don't need to depend on other people getting their act together. I can just try and do the best to get my own act together. To believe that you're no longer going to be an infant, but you're going to grow and mature and allow and exploring the gifts to flourish in your community is a jolly scary thing. Because for some weird reason, God has decided that the best way for him to reveal his orchestrated master plan of glory and redemption is through the messy church. 
don't really know why. Well, I do know why. I know his character. I've experienced him often enough, but it's a bit of a mental plan. And so here I was, uh, having a go at it. I was embracing the enchanted. Good two, three years into being part of Hope Church, we were rocked, God rocked up powerfully, worship changed, everything was going, it's incredible. Uh, it's just like healings, and la da 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 It's like, right, I'm going to go out in the snow, and I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to pray for someone on the street. Woo, yeah. Um, did they get healed? No. But then I tried again, and I prayed for the next person. Do they get healed? Yes, they do. Great. Okay, that gives me some motivation. Let's now go to pray for... Um, someone who's got one leg shorter than the other. See the leg grow in front of me. Whoo, yes, great. Uh, go and try the next thing, and so on. Listening to those surreptitious little moments where God tells you, ah, you know, um, here is a number on a card. Here is a time of day. Here is a little thing here. And you're starting to believe maybe every single one of these things is a little message from God. Maybe every single one of these things is enchanted seems more than they actually are. And I start making big life decisions based on little hints and things kicking about. I'm sure many of you have done the same thing. Making a cup of tea with God, and then I found out that God actually drank that very cup of tea. That was a fun moment. Um, praying for loads of people, sometimes in beautiful poetic prose, swishy, great, like... Uh, words used and they're getting healed. Sometimes, uh, one time I prayed for someone in a very silly Dutch accent. Don't ask me to repeat it right now. And they immediately got healed as well. So, you know, God does it when you're very poetic and another time when you're being very silly. And then chasing after people in wheelchairs to pray for them. Only to realize that now they felt subhuman because I did that. Praying for many, many countless people and actually finding that they don't get healed. Looking like an absolute idiot in front of my boss after praying for his gammy shoulder and it not being healed. Yes. Um, with a weird combination of success and failure, manipulation, relativism, emotionalism, status symbols, just over a decade being an adult in this enchanted world, and more than a decade for some of you, um, and just a bit. It's not an easy gig. And you can't sell this as a product. They did, in Paul's day, you'd buy your, a healing from a miracle worker. But this isn't about some deep mystical knowledge that you have, this is about relationship. But God. The gifts of the Spirit, the enchanted world, is exciting. Dare I say, we might even be able to live greater lives than we can read in the most exciting of novels because of it. But it makes no sense. It's tiresome, it's weary, and it is dangerous and can lead to the slaughter of millions like it did in the First and the Second World War if God and his unending goodness and his love doesn't sit right back in the center of it. So, sitting on my living room floor, and I was tired. I, this was six, seven years into all of this. And, you know, you get some really good highs. But then, you know, you, you've realized that you've made someone in a wheelchair feel absolutely awful and in an attempt to try and pray for them. And you're, like, you're getting really confused, and you're just like, I don't know what to do here. So I was tired. 
And I was so tired of being on, present, here, alive, enchanted, connected. You know, all of these things were like buzzwords where you're just like, yes. And then I felt something on my side. Like when you close your eyes and you know there's a person standing there, um, but you're like, so you can, there's that weird gravitational pull that kind of happens between people where you can kind of feel them even though they're not touching you. And I felt that as I was sitting on my floor. A prophetic friend taught me to listen into those nudges, and so I did. I closed my eyes and I breathed deeply. And another friend who was of a pastoral disposition told me about the importance of wielding your body to the Spirit's nudges and intentions, but not denying your emotions while doing that and being honest and vulnerable with God in that process. So I didn't deny my emotions. I accepted through the guidance of prophetic friends that God was there, but through pastoral friends, I accepted that actually I shouldn't deny the fact that I'm feeling very tired and frustrated. But I calm, but calm starts to come over me because I was starting now to be vulnerable and relational with God without denying my emotions. Then in my head, a very practical and pragmatic person who is a friend and also a teacher once told me about calming techniques, grounding yourself. So that's what I did as well. I waited in silence and then I used my imagination to listen to God, which is something that an apostle once taught me. How my mind, including my imagination, was being transformed and could prove an intrinsic part of how I could connect with God. And then I heard God, and he gave me a hug and words of comfort. And I believed them because teachers, theologians, philosophers, and Bible readers and teachers had diligently convinced me that God was good. And so my experience was wrapped up in the gifts of the prophetic, the apostolic teachers, guiding me back to enchantment. And I was galvanized, I was strengthened, I was re-motivated. So we can be tossed back and forth by waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, when we do not have Christ to return to. And we as a body, our gifts to one another to help us do that in our hour of need. And it's every part of the body, every gift that gives us the tools, the maturity, the knowledge, the wisdom, the unity, the faith to grow into the head that is Christ. So here we are. And the exciting thing is that there's a world out there that's increasingly becoming enchanted themselves again. A world where there's so much, uh, where people believe that there's so much more than what you can see. Some of my most fun conversations have been uh, with people who are spiritualists and who folk who take psychedelic drugs, um, because they get something, they understand something about enchantment that a classic rationalist doesn't necessarily. They get when I start talking about a Jesus who would apportion gifts of the Spirit, who builds all of humanity into his ligaments, in a way a disenchanted rationalist just wouldn't. I find it fascinating that Paul would say it requires the full extent of every gift, however menial it may seem, however small to operate fully, in order for us to get God. 
the administrator, the financer, the person who can see numbers and logistics and make sense of them into an order that empowers people, is from heaven and is a gift of the Spirit. And I'm not talking just about church-related organization. That those of you who do what would seem the least spiritual activity are doing something that is an imprint of heaven. We have to, one of the things that Paul's trying to emphasize isn't there are gifts of the Spirit. It's you are so much more than you think you are. If you don't believe that your job, your hobbies, your service does not represent and help people to navigate into the fullness of who Christ is, then you need to reread your Bible. Or more importantly, you need to listen to the gifts of those around you and let them have their full effect on you. Paul begins this passage by saying, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He calls this living a life worthy of our calling. Gentleness is not weak, Patience is not indifference. Humility is not cowardice. The earth and everything around and within us is vibrating at a heavenly frequency. Because Jesus descended and ascended and so fills the whole universe. I'm just repeating lines that Paul's just said. We are so much more than we think we are. Encouragement isn't just a nice thing to do. It's a gift of the very spirit that hovered over the empty waters before the foundations of anything. That's encouragement. And it's a gift built by and for the most mystical, mysterious, and marvelous enterprise that God has ever decided to engage on, building the church. When we understand that the secular and the sacred is not divided, like Anthony spoke about when he went over chapter one, then everything is enchanted. Look around you again. I was told I can't see angels. I can't, I kind of get a little bit of a hunch or a feeling-y type thing, but I've been told by a friend who has a very substantial gift that there are lots of angels in here right now. Now you can decide to be disenchanted and disengage, or you can allow the difference of a gift of the Spirit to have its full effect on you. And to take a moment to realize that if there's a lot of angels in here, then God wants to do something substantial. in order to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, back to the beginning. I said I'd bring this back up again. Did anyone feel the need to speak to a friend during the service so far? Could you please put your hands up if you did? If there was a moment where you were like, I chatted to a pal, I saw them, I thought, you know, I'm going to connect with them. Yeah, got a few. Right, you're not alone. That was a moment of God. You weren't disconnecting from worship. You weren't going like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just 
not be part of what God's doing right there. God's given you an impulse there to connect. And you don't need to see, see it separate. Did anyone feel anything? Pins and needles, brush of a wind, as though something was standing next to you. Could you put your hands up? Great. So we again have quite potent move of God right there in, in the tangible experience of him. Did anyone do something very practical? Set up chairs, sound system, play in the band, wave flags, do the projector, or anything else that may mean that you had to come to church early? Thank you so much. And again, not separate. Not a, oh, well, you know, they had the tingles, so that means they're more spiritual, and we uh, moved chairs around. It's part and parcel of the same gift. Did anyone get a sense of something, a ball of light, in particular in the space of the room, maybe a big person standing somewhere or someone walking into the room? Uh, yeah, got a few. Amazing. Did anybody play with the kids, maybe try to get them engaged with worship or just befriend them and make them feel connected with you? Yeah, beautiful. Again, not separate. Did anyone get a Bible verse, a repeated phrase, or say a word like holy that you just found yourself singing over and over again, or maybe a melody that you started singing? Yeah. Did anyone speak in tongues during the service? Yep. Has anyone got a person that kept on coming to mind during the service? A friend that might have been here in, uh, in the congregation or who might be out and about, a family friend or something like that. Cool. If it's someone in the congregation, can I encourage you to speak to that specific person at the tea and coffees? Because again, we can dismiss this and be disenchanted, or we can believe it's from God. Has anyone put in an effort to figure out the best way to get the family ready to, get, uh, to go to church without having a meltdown on a Sunday morning? Yeah? Fantastic. You absolute legends. Again, it doesn't feel super spiritual. You're not like, hmm, Jesus. And he's like, children! Um, but it's part and parcel of the same thing. Did anyone in the service so far hear or see anything that doesn't seem to be a sound or a sight that would naturally have happened in this space? Amazing. Did anybody get anything that they have absolutely no clue what to do with and it was a little bit outside of their grid? No? If you do get that, my piece of advice is chat to a trusted friend. If the trusted friend has no clue, maybe you and the trusted friend can go to one of the elders or a leader here then as well, and then maybe they can help you out. Yeah, and then they, well, no, you don't give them the problem. You are gifts together, and the leader might actually go like, that really speaks into something. Did, any, um, did anybody feel a particular emotion during the service? Laughter? Was there... Suddenly, yeah, sense of, yeah, again, beautiful. The, 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 we need to hear this stuff, guys, as well. Share it. Like, do make sure that you come to the front and talk to the people who are leading the service and just go, like, they, they are entitled to say no. This is not the context for it, but it's so important we get the giftings represented in, in, a, in a Sunday morning. Do you feel pain anywhere? Did you feel any pain coming in your body just immediately and then did it disappear? Was there like an irritation anywhere that came in your body? If that ever happens to you, can I encourage you to ask Jesus if it means that you're to pray for someone to be healed? 
you are more than you think you are. Amen.